Okay, so today is Freedom Sunday, and Freedom Sunday is all about speaking about the problem of slavery, exposing ourselves to God's heart for the oppressed, and finding ways to mobilize change to end slavery. So I've been involved in our local anti-trafficking groups since probably when it started. Uh, we, we all can't really figure out when it actually started. It seems like it's been around for a while. And Johnny and Beth, uh, I don't know remember if you remember them, uh, they actually started it. They're missionaries in uh, Far East Asia. Is that how we're saying that? Yeah, we can't actually name the country they're working in because it's kind of dangerous. So um, they are missionaries and they got the heart for justice and they started a group and I've been part of it since the beginning um, and or near enough the beginning and so it's always been an issue that's kind of grabbed me. Um, I helped organize some anti-trafficking film nights at the vineyard um, and so just kind of stirring up this awareness for this issue that's, that's kind of seized my heart and I would love to, it's just a dream of mine to see slavery end in our day. So it's a real honor to be able to be here and share this issue uh, with us. We're going to go through some pretty tough stuff, um, but there is hope at the end of it. So um, thank you for having me, and thanks, it's an honor to be here. Um, so this morning, we actually had someone from IJM, uh, the organization that I'm going to be referencing, um, come speak uh, and she shared about her work in India. Now, IJM stands for International Justice Mission. Um, And what she said was completely different from what I'm going to share, but still along the same theme. And it was amazingly powerful. If any of you were there, it was brilliant. I'm sure you'll all agree. Like, it pretty much grabs me right by the heart and squeezed pretty hard. Um, And so if you get the chance, if you haven't heard it, uh, it will be available as a podcast. And so I'd say go check it out because uh, what we're covering tonight is uh, same theme but completely different stories. So, um, um, yeah, I would just highly recommend it. um, So let's kick it off. Okay, so um, the question is, when did you experience injustice? And so I can think of a time in my life when I've experienced injustice uh, I remember back in secondary school days, and our teachers, um, they, they were clever. They, they had this cruel form of injustice, well, justice for them, called work parties. Yeah. How, what a cruel name for a thing. Work parties. They don't belong together. So what would happen was if you were messing around in class or you pushed your friends and they fell over and a teacher saw it, they'd go, work party. And what that would mean is you'd get a little yellow certificate and that meant you had to go do something. Now, it wasn't like a serious punishment that went on your record, but it did mean you'd have to do some work to make up for the wrongdoing you'd done. And that would look like washing up the teacher's teacups or uh, sweeping the, the kitchen, for example. But mostly it was just about cleaning those mugs. So... There would be certain days where there was, um, towards the end of the day, the tea mugs would still be by the sink, unwashed, sitting in their filth. And the teachers were probably very conscious of this. And it's getting towards the end of the day. And us dutifully well-behaved students are just trying to learn. We just want to be in school and learn. And we're not messing about. We're very serious. We're there to work. But 
then you'd ask your friend a question in class about something you didn't understand and the teacher would see their moment and they'd go, what party? And they would get you to do the cups because they hadn't been done and they needed to be done by the end of the day. So it felt like a cruel sense of injustice. So perhaps maybe this has been, uh, maybe you've had a similar experience, uh, maybe the injustice of the school system, or perhaps you were cut off in traffic, or perhaps you got overcharged on your phone bill, or perhaps even more seriously, maybe you're blamed for something you didn't do. So in groups of twos and threes, just gather around right now and just maybe share in a group of two or three uh, a time you experienced injustice and uh, how that felt. So just, yeah, gather around two threes now. Okay. Um, Yeah, just wrap it up now. (laughs) that's how I bring things to a close I'm not not obviously a pastoral person I'm like shut up we're about to get on with the message again okay so the biblical definition of injustice sorry am I talking over you okay sorry just a joke Um, don't booby (laughs) so uh, the biblical definition of injustice um, when the bible talks about injustice it's referencing a very special kind of sin Because injustice, according to the Bible, is an abuse of power, taking from others the good thing that God intends for them, and that could be their life, their dignity, the fruits of their love, or the fruits of their labor. So that's taking from those who have, sorry, taking from those who have not by those who have. That's injustice. And Ecclesiastes paints a very clear picture of it as well. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. Someone who has power oppressing someone who does not. Someone who has taking from another who has not. And we see this story in the David of Bathsheba. Now, the next slide... uh, I have censored it for you because it's a little controversial and I wasn't sure if I could get away with it in church, so heads up. (laughs) Story of David and Bathsheba. Although a very white Bathsheba, we might add. Um, She was a Jewish lady, so she wouldn't have been uh, that white. Anyway, sorry, I apologize. Um, Talk to Joe afterwards if you have any problems with this image. So um, we have this story about King David, this much-loved and celebrated king of Israel. And uh, he wakes up one day, one spring morning, and sees a woman a couple of rooftops over from his palace. And this, this story is told in 1, 1 Samuel 12 or 1 Samuel 11, thereabouts. Uh, and he decides when he sees her that he wants her. So he takes Bathsheba for himself, using his kingly authority to summon her. Then after he slept with her, that's how it goes, and finds out that she's pregnant, he tries to cover up his abuse by getting rid of her, getting rid of her husband that she's married to, by having him purposefully murdered in war. And all of this really just doesn't seem to phase David, not until a prophet, Nathan, comes to, uh, comes to David and confronts him to his face. And the confrontation is primarily about his horrific abuse of his power. 
We could say that that is an ancient story. Ecclesiastes is talking about ancient suffering. We might like to imagine that our, our world today is very different from this. Less brutal, more just. But my connection to the modern day slavery, anti-slavery movement has given me a very different picture. And being aware of organizations like IJM gives you stories knowing that this picture is simply just as true today. Our world today is not that different from the world thousands of years ago when it comes to injustice. Let me offer you just a couple of statistics. Human traffickers make almost $150 billion a year selling people into slavery. And to wrap your head around $150 billion, that's one five zero 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 zero. That's 111 billion pounds a year. One in four slaves are a child. That's the reality in India. Nearly half never found. So we're going to go back to this statistic. 40 million people live as slaves today. That's from some very recent research that came out about a week ago. 40 million is more slaves than were trafficked during the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. So if you think slavery is not as big as a problem as it was in the days of William Wilberforce and the abolitionists of our day in this country, you'd be wrong. And you'd be three times wrong because it's three times bigger than it was during the transatlantic slave trade. 40 million people is more people enslaved today than any other time in history. And you've got to wonder, how is it possible that 40 million people could be living under the yoke of slavery and we don't even see it? It's not much on the news. The common understanding might say, hasn't slavery ended? Isn't slavery something from our history books? The sad news is slavery still exists. Maybe it doesn't exist in my world or yours, but it does exist You're working 14, 18 hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the bond laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, Sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, There is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, my friend. There's a girl who's very afraid. Almost unable to walk. This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. 
and at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out. So imagine yourself at seven years old, because that was his age. You're orphaned. The only family you know is sold sold you to a brick kiln owner, a harsh man who yells at you or ignores you, who forces you to wake up before the sun and join dozens of adults who are twice your size in a long day's labor of molding, hauling, and stacking heavy clay bricks. You're confused and terrified. You don't know why you're a slave because you, you don't even know you're a slave because you're only seven. This is Kumar's life and the story shared by millions of other children and families across India and in the developing world today. Month after month of forced labor left Kumar's small hands scarred and raw. Kumar desperately wanted to be in school, to make friends, to play, to feel loved, to be a boy. He said he was literally afraid to think about his future, so he never did. There was only the work and the fists of his owners to keep him going. Sadly, Kumar is not just one isolated story. Slavery is pervasive and violent across India. Enslaved women fear being gang-raped by their owner's henchmen. Brutal violence is used as a weapon to create fear and prevent escape. Here's just a, a few fairly explicit stories. I'm just going to warn you. One victim's arm was doused with kerosene and lit on fire for escaping. A mother's stomach was stomped when she tried to stop a man from beating her two-year-old daughter. And entire villages are almost often promised a job several states away, but when they arrive, they're enslaved in a community with no connections, where they don't speak the local language, and they say they've been beaten, shocked with electrical wires, tied up in cow sheds, treated as less than human. So Kumar is one of 12 million um, that's 12 million slaves in India alone. So uh, India has about a third of the world's slaves. So it's a pretty massive problem in their culture. That's 12 million people who are in God's image who have been reduced to a thing, a non-person, just a slave. So what do we do with this information? How do we respond to Kumar's reality? and to the reality of millions of others? How do we respond to such injustice? I mean, where would we even start? Well, I think the best place to start is to ask the question, how does God feel 
about all of this? And thankfully, the answer is straightforward. One place we can go to find the answer in the Bible is Luke 4. And this is the point at which Jesus transitions from private life to public ministry. And he uses it to signal who he is and what his mission is. It reads like a scene from a movie script. So this is from verse 14. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, this is in front of his hometown, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where, where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It's kind of a rock star move. It's kind of like the mic drop. You know, like he's standing where he was brought up and he says, this is my mission. This is fulfilled in me. He doesn't send out a press release or an email blast. He stands up and he declares, this is he is the very fulfillment of the ancient words of Isaiah. He is the Messiah and all the promises of those, of those ancient words are fulfilled in him. It's just powerful. In fact, the word release, well, yeah, here we go. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, the oppressed set free. It's interesting, that word release. That is uh, from a Greek word, aphasis. And the only reason I'm telling you that is because release is actually the literal term. Some translations say freedom, but it's a very specific term that references the Jewish idea of jubilee which is found in Leviticus 25. Now, Jubilee is significant because that's the day where every, every land goes back to the rightful landowner. All the slaves get set free. All the debts are cleared. It's a powerful term, and it's released to the captives. So one way this passage has been understood is that Jesus' mission was about freeing us from sin. He brings good news to those of us who are poor in spirit. He proclaims freedom to us who are held captive to sin. He heals us who are blinded by our sin. He sets us free from the oppression of sin causes in our lives. Freedom from shame, from alcohol, from eating disorders or low self-esteem. Freedom from past trauma. And this is all true. It's good news for all of us. However, when we go to different parts of the world... There's a deeper meaning at play here because there are real issues that people face where they are physically trapped. And this, these words of Jesus set them free when we carry the mission of Jesus to them. He was, Jesus was amongst the poor. 
he set the demonized free. People who were physically blind had their sight restored. Those who were under the oppression from the religious elite found his yoke easy and his burden light. He came and introduced a whole new way to know him and know God. He rescued completely. Heart, mind, body, soul. Complete salvation. So it's not only a spiritual transformation. It's a very real transformation too. Not to say spiritual transformation isn't real. Hear my heart on that. So IJM, they are the fantastic organization that we have the honor of uh, hosting today. And, well, with, uh, with Rebecca here and Rachel this morning. So um, that's what IJM have come to understand as the mission of Jesus for them. They, they really want to just set slaves free from this whole passage of Luke 4 referencing the mission of Jesus. And IJM was founded 20 years ago to embody the call of Jesus for people like Kumar. That's why I can tell you today that Kumar is no longer suffering at the hands of a brutal brick kiln owner. IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And, based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused, there is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, the one thing I want to do, sir, is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker, to help those still suffering like he did. And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. 
but to go after them until we find them, to be relentless in our love. So Kumar remembers his day of rescue as a quick, life-changing turn of events, but really it taken months of careful planning by the team at IJM. Local staff, um, local police investigated the atrocities happening in, uh, within the kiln. Together with IJM, local authorities infiltrated the kiln, documented legal evidence, and brought Kumar and the other slaves to freedom. So this boy who was once terrified to think about his future suddenly has had his chance. IJM counselors stayed by his side and promised him over and over that he was finally safe and that this was real. As the good news sunk in, Kumar was overjoyed and he said, when I heard that somebody is going to release me from here, I felt very happy. I was happy I no longer needed to suffer, that my life was about to change. And since that turning point, everything has changed for Kumar. Today, Kumar is thriving in his freedom. He's a deep thinker, a fantastic dancer, and a college student. In fact, he even joined the team in Bangalore, the IJM team in Bangalore, fighting to bring freedom to people enslaved just like he was. And Kumar is also now a Christian. You see, the first link in the redemptive chain of salvation for Kumar was his real freedom from captivity. And now he has experienced real freedom and spiritual freedom in Christ. And that's just one story. But it may just seem like one story is just a drop in the bucket. But I assure you it isn't. Because I've, when I get, while I was getting to prepare this sermon, it was just kind of like, it's just the best reading to discover all the impact that IJM are doing. And it's growing every day. And it's not just IGM. There's other organizations out there doing that. Um, so let me just share you a few cool stories that IGM are working with, what they've done. So um, just to give you a little bit of background on IGM, they are 750 Christian lawyers, criminal investigators, trauma social workers, pastors, graphic designers, and pretty much every other job you can think of. And they work in 17 communities throughout Africa, Latin America, South and Southeast Asia. And they're not just seeing freedom for individuals caught in slavery, but they're seeing freedom for whole cities and, in fact, whole countries. So let's look at Cebu in the Philippines. Um, IGM did a project in the city of Cebu in the Philippines to combat sex trafficking of minors. After five years of comprehensively working with all the stakeholders in the public justice system, independent auditors confirmed 79% reduction in the number of minors in the sex industry, which is mind-blowing. Like a whole city, 79% reduction. That is a lot of lives changed. But it didn't stop there. The Filipino government saw what they had done, and they decided to scale the strategy to several other major metropolitan areas. And in the span of just a decade or two, we may see the near eradication of sex trafficking of minors in the Philippines. It's mind-blowing. A nation changed. And it's, just, it's still in progress, but it is a nation being transformed. Another example of IJM work in Cambodia, a country considered ground zero for pedophiles and sex tourists. 
15 years, it's a lot of work, 15 years, of collaboration between Cambodian leaders, police, courts, social services, and the NGO community has made a dramatic change for Cambodia's children. A 2015 study conducted by IJM found that the prevalence of young minors in the largest commercial sex markets in the country, once estimated to be as high as 15 to 30%, has been virtually, virtually eradicated to less than one-tenth of 1%. Go from as much as 30% down to less than one-tenth of 1% is a huge societal shift in cultural values. That's the kingdom coming on earth. And there's certainly other challenges to face in Cambodia and the Philippines, but let's pause for a moment and acknowledge that there are thousands of girls and women who will now never be abused in the first place. Every day we move closer to seeing the miraculous truth that slavery could end in our time. It's not just a promise of an idea. People are actually talking about it, that this actually could happen. And this is precisely what happens when the church becomes part of the mission of Jesus. When we become a good Samaritan to the forgotten, the wounded, the person in need. Because the world needs those who can embody the mission of Jesus in their actions. It's a call to go after lost sheep. Jesus is the one that chose to go after the one when there were 99 other sheep around. He tells this parable to his followers and says, I care about the one. I'm going after them. That's when we do that, we look a lot like Jesus. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It seems like what God requires of us is actually very little. To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And it's an invitation to be human. Because when we deny these things, we become inhuman. And so God is saying, you know, he, want, he doesn't want hearts of stone. He wants hearts of flesh. Hearts that respond rightly to injustice, that, that stop for the poor, that stop for the broken, stop for the one who's oppressed, that liberate the captive. He's inviting us to love our neighbor. He's inviting us to a bigger story than our lives mean to ourselves. He's inviting us to live beyond ourselves for something bigger than ourselves. It's an adventure of a lifetime that he's promised. And justice is a huge part of it. We have a very special guest I actually want to invite up now. Do you want to come up? Rebecca McIntyre, lovely to have you. She's going to tell us a little about the journey she's been on. And this is a rather fetching photo. That's, that's you in India, right? It was me. That was quite, um, quite early in my time. Um, the office took us on a safari to hunt for some tigers. And um, I was new, trying to make friends, only foreigner, just winging it. <laughs> so to give a bit of context, Rebecca's just got back two weeks ago from... About a month ago. Oh, a yeah. month ago, okay. <laughs> Not, it was pretty soon. Um, a month ago, and you were there for nine months? Um, about 11 months. 11 yeah. months, okay. Yeah. Got to get my facts straight. Fine. Um, <laughs> And, and so you were working, in what part of India were you working with IJM? Um, so I was based in their New Delhi office. Um, so that's the north of India, the capital city, um, heart of kind of central government area. Yeah. Fantastic. So 
you were an, you're now an IGM alumni, so just tell us a bit about the work you were doing while you were there. What was your um, role? Yeah, so I was um, an intern there working in communications, and um, that's just really quite broad. I'm sure anyone that works in comms knows that. Um, so my role just included being a spare pair of hands, but also... Um, focusing a lot on their publications and getting the message out there about bonded labour, which um, is a unique form of slavery, which is covered in Kumar's example. So essentially bonded labour is um, where a family or an individual who are impoverished um, are looking for work, um, usually in their own area, but um, they're in a really vulnerable situation. And so a trafficker or a middle person will come along. um, They'll naturally see they're in a desperate situation and they'll offer them a promise of money. Um, This can be as small as $20, um, £15. Um, They'll say, if you come and work for me, um, I'll give you this money and you can pay it back. But then... Like we saw in Kumar's video, their rights are essentially taken away. And, um, yeah, that's children, families. They're subject to abuse, um, physical, um, kind of sexual, just every form of violence. They have no rights to sell their own goods at market value and all of the above. Um, So our office focuses on bonded labour, which is mostly prevalent in India. Um, Our Cambodia work has since moved on because it's been so successful to also focus on bonded labour. So my communications work very much focused on this issue and getting the message out there um, to external stakeholders within India. So So how is your team, how are they making an impact? Um, So you were were doing communications and um, your team, were they they doing exactly like what we saw in the video? Um, Yeah, so most IGM offices do have a model where the staff members directly go out into the field um, to draw alongside the local government that they've been sort of building relationships with over time to conduct a rescue. Um, The the victims always have to be willing to be rescued. They don't just blitz in there and uh, free people against their will. Um, So most of our staff are directly in the field, but in our Delhi office, we have quite a unique model, which is more the approach um, IGM will be taking in the future, which is to work through partnership. So um, obviously we're based in a strategic and central location where we can't be everywhere because India is so vast. Um, So we work through local organisations to build their capacity um, so that they carry out rescues, but we'll assist them. We don't leave them alone, but the idea is that it's more sustainable so that they can then go on um, to do the work themselves. So you're working through the local justice system, the local authorities to yeah. make change happen across yes. India, but specifically you were working, um, which city? In Delhi. Delhi. But then our Delhi office helps um, people um, who are victimised all around India. So yes. it's quite confusing. Yes, but we have you, you have a wider impact because Delhi is yeah. a huge place. In terms of the government, yeah, being Oh, there. fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... I'm, I'm curious, how did you start getting involved in all of this anyway? Um, so I think for anyone, I don't know, that's been on a journey um, of understanding God's heart for justice, it can look so different. Um, so for me, I, I studied in Edinburgh, and after my first year, 
I went to Kenya and spent three months there living in a slum. Um, (laughs) Not quite sure how I ended up there, but yeah, when I was there, I was living amongst local people who became my friends, and I just experienced so much injustice, um, indirectly and directly. So the police, who were supposed to be there to protect, or supposed to be there to protect my friends, would be falsely accusing them of things, um, knocking at their doors in the middle of the night, threatening them um, with violence, saying, you've stolen this person's mobile phone. And I just came away from this experience and from things that happened to me, and I thought, this is awful. Um, This is what it looks like for people to live outside of the protection of the law. And that's very much what IJM are focused on, is um, the millions of people that don't live in protection of the law. And so... Yeah, um, our headquarters is in Washington, D.C., and so um, some friends based there told me about IJM, and then I joined a local group in Edinburgh, saw... I just got kind of more clued up on it, and I was like, whoa, slavery still exists in such a big capacity. Um, So, yeah, just learning more, and my righteous anger (laughs) is burning. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of how I fell into it. (laughs) That's that's fantastic. Uh, um, I'm almost kind of wondering if uh, there could be people here that maybe go, actually, I want to do something about this. Um, It's more than I want to pray, although I may want to pray, I may want to give money towards this, but maybe there's something where I want to go actually and work or intern Mm. with IJM. How would you go about doing that? Um, Yeah, so there are different opportunities depending on which stage of life you're at and what level of expertise you have. So for me, I went in as an intern, which is very much the lowest position. Um, So you're just kind of there to serve, get stuck in. um, Whereas if you want to go in more of an expert capacity, you can go as a fellow. Um, These are people that generally have more expertise in different areas. So that could be social work, communications, government relations, or you can just be quite willing. Um, And yeah, the website um, has a lot of detailed information on this, but if anyone's specifically interested or a student that's interested in um, going abroad for an internship with IGM, just speak to me and we have offices all around the world doing loads of different casework. So there's kind of something that'll catch you for sure. I know you'll have probably a number of stories and that people could probably ask you about the stories over there. Is there any kind of story you'd like to mention now or uh, save it for after? Um, There are so many. Um, I find it really hard to watch even Kumar's story, which is one I know, um, which an office in the south of India helped rescue. There are so many. Do ask me. I have a great... (laughs) Okay. Um, I didn't prepare her for this question. (laughs) I've got them. Comms, comms. Um, So my favourite woman... I shouldn't have favourites, but um, I actually got to meet her, which is really rare for foreigners to meet our survivors for numerous reasons. But there was this incredible woman um, about my size uh, called Renu Devi. And she was... um, I don't know if many of you know about the Indian caste system, but... It's basically how society is um, organised through a system of occupational positions. So you have people who are at the lowest of society and it goes up to a kind of warrior and then priestly caste. And so she was outside of the caste system. She was the lowest um, of society. Um, But anyway, her story, kind of her rehabilitation story, so she was rescued, um, she helped... um, 
basically give voice to her own community by becoming an elected leader of her community, which is unheard of. And so she was, um, so in the way that it's called a panchayat, this is the like Indian system of governing things. Um, she was running against some, the representative of her brick kiln owner. So she was really head-on facing up to her kind of past. Um, but she was successful, and she's a woman, and she um, is now governing her local community and helping give voice to them. And so they've got more cattle and livelihood, and their little economy is thriving. And, yeah, you just wouldn't expect it meeting her. She's so quiet, and it's just great. So, yeah. That's Amazing powerful. That's really powerful. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you so much for sharing with us. And yeah, um, uh, Rebecca is going to be available for questions afterwards uh, as our representative IJM here. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, and like, you. it's an honor to have you here. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> So um, perhaps IJM, uh, working with IJM directly, that might be an option for you. But there are other things, ways you can get involved if that isn't an option for you. Um, because essentially we are still looking at the number of 40 million slaves today. And it is a possibility that slavery may end in our lifetime. But it's going to take a whole lot of people getting involved, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of prayer, a whole lot of action from the church. So many of you have felt your heart just kind of, just God on your heart while this has been shared that this is not right and that something has to be done and perhaps you're realizing you want to be part of this change. So we have three suggestions uh, or three ways you can get possibly involved with this if you feel like God has just laid this on your heart to be part of changing the world this way. So the first way we have is to join us and pray. So we have this anti-trafficking prayer group. Um, it's for all different churches, um, but we meet here. We have a meeting once a month on a Tuesday. It is one hour of your time. And you may find, as uh, our speaker this morning uh, alluded to, that if you put this in your calendar, you'll find everything stands in your way to get to that meeting, the, the house starts burning, you know, down. And you're like, oh, no, like, this, the cat's gone missing again. Or I don't know, there's probably more legitimate things that happen that get in your life. But it seems like this can be some opposition to making it to this meeting. But I assure you, this meeting is where the Holy Spirit is. When any time we pray, Holy Spirit just shows up and we just feel his presence because we know this is part of his heart. So... Eight till nine o'clock here at the vineyard, we have a prayer room upstairs. Please join us. We'd love to have you. Uh, we pray always from a position of hope. Um, we look at the reality, but we pray God's perspective on it. So that's an amazing way of getting involved. There's three dates there. Put them in your calendar now. Why not? Take a screenshot. I don't mind. Please join us. They're there. You're probably not going to see them again unless you write them down now. So the next way of getting involved is to become a freedom partner. Now, IGM have kind of coined this whole term uh, Freedom Sunday because they are looking to raise money because ending slavery is not cheap. Stopping this uh, $150 billion a year industry does not come easy. So there are ways of giving. If you feel like that you have money to contribute to this, if you want to be generous as our father is generous, you know, if you want to, if you feel like, wow, 
I want to I want to change this while giving we serve a radically generous God and so we look a lot like him when we give and so this is one really powerful way to affect change and give um, and be blessed by it because God looks at those who loan to lend to the poor as lending to him so you can either give once off or monthly there's an IJM leaflet at the back um, we also have giving via text message so if you text free 41 and the amount, three pounds, five pounds, ten pounds, to 770, you'll have given money through your phone plan, which is kind of a remarkable miracle for technology. And the final way uh, is also intern with IJM, get involved, work with them directly. Um, and I mean, honestly, if you do come to the prayer, prayer meetings, we also organize more than just prayer. We get involved in the local Stop the Traffic gift box. That all grew out of the prayer meetings. And, you know, it's just brilliant to be involved with local organizations. There's tons of organizations that we can resource you with, connect you with, find availability for if you can't make Tuesday nights. There's so many ways of getting involved in this issue. There is a need. And if you have a heart for it, you can make time. It's, it's really powerful. So that's essentially uh, three ways to get involved. Um, it is the call to be like Jesus, to follow his mission and to change this world to actually really make a difference because it's all well and good if we're you know, saved after we die, but really Jesus cares about the here and now. He cares about bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and we can be partner with him. Uh, so I just encourage you, if this is on your heart, please do take action on it. Um, so that's, that's the end of the message. We are going to pray for people now as well, if you'd like. Um, we had a really intimate worship time. Um, some of you may feel like, my heart's low. I actually need need the touch of Jesus. I need I need Him to come near to me. I need His holy com- uh, presence. So, yeah, let's have the band back up. And Joe, do you want to take over? Thank you, Will. Fantastic. Wow, lots to think about. It's a huge issue, isn't it? And yet, there is incredible hope that God loves people enslaved and wants them to be free. So what we're going to do now, we're going to stand together. And I'd love you to get into twos or threes, and we're going to spend a few minutes just praying. And if you're not a praying person, then just think upwards. Think about people who are caught up in some of the situations that we've heard about. And also this morning, one thing that Rachel said really helpfully was encourage us to pray for people who are actually doing the work to set people free. You know, she was talking about some people who are aware of people in Kumar's situation. And yet, as Rebecca said, they can't just breeze in straight away and rescue people. It takes months, sometimes years, to put together the evidence. So if your heart burns for people who are being oppressed... And yet day after day and week after week and year after year, you're seeing the situation isn't changing. That's a really heavy load to have to carry. And so it'd be great for us to pay for those people. Some of them have families over there, so pray for safety. Pray for their marriages to be strong. Pray for them to find the right bits in the law to be able to enforce. Because the laws are there, but they need help to enforce them. So let's stand together, get in twos and threes, and we're just going to pray for a couple of minutes for people enslaved and for people trying to free them.